Monday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone number 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Pete Callender and get the podcast as well at WBT.com. They come right to your smartphone or tablet. You don't have to do anything. You just click the one button that says subscribe. It's free and it comes right to your right to your phone or tablet. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, all right, so uh, a lot of stuff happened over the last three days with Twitter and Elon Musk. There was a uh, another release of, uh, I guess this was the installment number six of, uh, of the Twitter file. Right. The Twitter files. Number six. Matt Taibbi. Uh, he did the uh, latest dump. And unfortunately, it got overshadowed by screeching performances of hysteria by like seven reporters. <laughs> Journalismers. Uh, including one of just the most awful people on Twitter, Taylor Lorenz, or Lorenz. Just an awful person who has made a career with major corporate media outlets doxing people. And again, doxing is D-O-X-I-N-G. Doxing, it's a shorthand. It's a, it's, I guess it's probably in the dictionary by now. But it's uh, it's when you take someone's personal information, you find out, personal info about them, whether they are anonymous or not, and then you publish it with malintent, right? The point is to intimidate into silence. Either you out their real identity, if they've been, you know, blogging or tweeting or uh, or doing YouTube videos or memes, and they've been doing it anonymously, like libs of TikTok, right? That's a, a Twitter account run by a woman, uh, I believe she's in New York, and all she does is go on to TikTok and take videos that leftists post up themselves and just takes them and then publishes them on her Twitter feed called Libs of TikTok. Rarely does she even comment. She just says, here's a video of some radical leftist teacher talking about how they're totally going to indoctrinate your kid. That's actually a pretty common, uh, <laughs> it's actually a pretty common category of videos that she posts. And uh, and she got doxxed. Her uh, personal information published in uh, I always forget where this uh, this awful journalismer works. She's bounced around a couple different places. I believe she's at the New York Times now, or maybe she's at the Washington Post. Anyway, one or the other. And and they exposed her for what reason? Like, what's the news reason for identifying? somebody behind a, uh, a a social media account who's just a private person who's literally taking videos and posting them up. Videos that people post onto their feeds. They are proud of these videos. And so they get posted up. And the critics will say, well, Libs of TikTok is trying to get people to go after these individuals. Uh, I mean, is that just the natural response that people have when you say, hey, you know, I'm a radical leftist and I'm going to indoctrinate your kid in my classroom. And then people say, hey, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Is that, quote, targeting? I would submit it's not. But all the stuff that started happening in uh, late last week with Elon Musk and 
uh, the rules that he started putting in place about doxing, which were due to, um, I think, a natural and an understandable response to uh, the stalking and accosting of the vehicle that his young toddler son was in, was riding in this car, and uh, Musk got angry and went over this the other day. I, I think it's it's understandable why he connects the dots between tracking of his personal information, his, his flight information, I should I should say. And there's a uh, there's a Twitter account called Elon's Jet or Elon Jet, something like that. And all it does is tell you where his jet is. And supposedly the guy who uh, created this was a big fan of Tesla and he was a fan of Elon Musk's and uh, he wrote some, you know, bot, some computer program to pull uh, information about the tracking number and where the plane is and all that. But then Musk went and went through the, uh, what, the FAA or something and he got some sort of uh, masking approval so he could hide the number because he's a public figure. He doesn't want his plane tracked. So then this kid turns around. He's like 20 or something. Now he, uh, he finds a way to get other information and kind of piece together. And he creates a bot that does that. And so he's, he's purposefully going around, you know, what is publicly available information to try to create this tracking system. And then apparently over the weekend, he told some talking head corporate media journalism or said uh, that he will totally go away if Elon gives him $50,000. Which, I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like extortion. I'll stop stalking you if you pay me $50,000. Now, Musk is admittedly in a a non-advantageous or disadvantageous position because he's a public figure. And when you're public, people can abuse you way more. Those are the laws. So Musk, now in charge of Twitter, decides, well, I can do something on my platform. And so he bans that Elon Jet account. He then bans these reporters for major media outlets. But these are like the ones that he he suspended. I shouldn't even say banned. He suspended them. The ones that he suspended are some of just the worst journalismers just in the industry and on Twitter. They're just awful people. And so they started, you know, quote, covering the Elon Jet story. And, of course, they're covering it by posting up links and saying, oh, hey, you can go over to this other platform and look at the the account over there. Because the guy went and set up another account on, like, Mastodon, which is, like, where all the leftists, like, we're going to Mastodon. Screw Elon Musk. And so they're all supposedly going over to Mastodon. Or post, I guess, is the other one. It's it's very similar to the parlor and gab, right? The, that the conservatives all went over, you know, when Twitter was was banning people on the right for the last decade, and now you've got like what two weeks of two weeks of a consistently applied suspension rule against everybody against media and against leftists. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening, right? So that's sort of the the background that was happening at the end of the week. And then Matt Taibbi, the independent journalist, he, uh, who, you know, has access to uh, the, all of the files, the Twitter files that Elon is, yeah. Right. Okay. Right, so he, Right, so he's got okay. He's got all of the access to the um, 
uh, to the files, and they've been doing these uh, these tweet threads, right? A, a series of tweets, all connected, and uh, they've been exposing the inner communications of the Twitter executives over the last you know five years or so. And it's this last one that is the most disturbing. But unfortunately, all of the Elon Jet coverage and the, oh my gosh, he banned six reporters, it's the end of democracy. All of that hysteria has big-footed what Matt Taibbi put out on uh, Saturday, I think it was. But I've got it. And now you have the clear connections that are emerging between not just the FBI... But if you, if you had to guess a single member of Congress that would be at the center of this, I'll give you a hint. He's a Democrat from California. Uh-huh. Adam Schiff. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Merry Christmas. Donald Trump said we could say it again. So I've been saying it ever since, like, 2016. Happy New Year, too. I'm going to be here all week, by the way. So uh, if you are working all this week, so too am I and Chris and Bernie. Although Bernie's doing a half day. All righty. So let's go through the the latest installment. This is uh, Matt Taibbi, the latest installment of... Uh, the Twitter files that he published the other day on, uh, well, on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to read all of them. He's got, hang on. All right, he's got like uh, 45 tweets and then another 13 followed up. Yeah, I'm not going to read them all. I'm not going to read them all. I've gone through and I've pulled the highlights here, the, 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 the tweets that really sort of, you know, encapsulate the issue. So instead of, what, 45 plus 13. So instead of 58, um, right, it's going to be like 56. No, I'm kidding. Way fewer than that. All right, let's just do it. All right, Twitter's contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive as if it were a subsidiary. That's tweet number three. Contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive as if Twitter was a subsidiary. Of the FBI. What did I what did I call this like two weeks ago when these files first started getting published? I said this was censorship by surrogate, right? The FBI, the Department of Justice, the government, the state can't do this on their own. It's you know obviously illegal. But if you get a quote partner that sets up a portal for you and sets up you know a direct access email channel between various agents in the FBI and other uh, agencies as well. We'll get to those. Um, And now you've got a direct line. And the government knows that you will take down accounts for it. All in the name of election integrity. And over the last, what, six years... Election integrity has been about what? You know, Donald Trump spreading, quote, the big lie. But before that, what was it? That the Russians hacked our election and they made Trump president. Which came from what? 
the FBI. So now think about that. That closes the loop, right? You've got the FBI that creates the Russia collusion hoax in the first place but using the information that came from Sussman, who was a lawyer for the Clinton campaign. He goes to the FBI, his pal James Baker, and says, hey, Jimmy, I have this this stuff, and no, 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 don't worry. This is not coming from the campaign. I am merely here in my capacity as a private citizen. Here's all of this information. James Baker was like the deputy general counsel at, uh, or maybe general counsel at the FBI, who then, coincidentally, after... All of this stuff blows up, the Russia collusion hoax and the Steele dossier, and he was at the center of all of that stuff. When all of that blows up, he's now out, and he lands at Twitter, where, just by coincidence, he is able then to uh, to help navigate the Hunter Biden laptop story for Twitter, and banning of the New York Post and all that. So they create the narrative and then use that narrative citing media reports that they leaked to, right? Like They were the ones that gave the media the stories. And then they cite those stories as the reasons to start banning people. All right, so that's one tweet. I, I swear, I'm not, I'm not going to do this for every single tweet. All right, the next one. Between January 2020 and November 2022... There were over 150 emails between the FBI and former Twitter trust and safety chief Yoel Roth. Some are mundane. Others are requests for information into Twitter users related to active investigations. But a surprisingly high number are requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving jokes. Jokes that are being told by people with, like, no followers. On their accounts. The FBI's social media focused task force, known as the FTIF, they have a, did you know that? They have a, yeah, media focused task force, known as FTIF, created in the wake of the 2016 election, swelled to 80 agents and corresponded with Twitter to identify alleged foreign influence and election tampering of all kinds. 80 agents. Right, this is why they can't shut down human trafficking or something, right? This is why, like, it, yeah, this is why they, they, they can't figure out where Ray Epps is to bring him in or, or something. This is why they, they couldn't nail that doctor who abused all of the U.S. gymnasts. They, they, they haven't made a single arrest for any of the, the men that use Jeffrey Epstein's plane and his pedophile island, right? Can't, can't figure that stuff out, right? But you got 80 agents that are just scrolling timelines looking for, you know, four follower parody accounts that are posting memes. And so then you can go after them and you can write to Twitter and take down that account. And Twitter says, will do. This is censorship by surrogacy. Federal intelligence and law enforcement reach into Twitter their reach into Twitter included the Department of Homeland Security, which partnered with security contractors and think tanks to pressure Twitter to moderate content. It's no secret the government analyzes bulk data for all sorts of purposes, but everything from tracking terror suspects 
to making economic forecasts. The Twitter files show something new, though. Agencies like DHS and the FBI are sending social media content to Twitter through multiple entry points pre-flagged for moderation. And again, some of them are just jokes. This is this is the real story. And everybody complaining, oh, they got booted off of Twitter. That's all deflection. This is the real story. Outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. The Charlotte Knights hosting a... Uh, and I brought me some corn for pop. Hosting a big event. They got the uh, Light the Knights Festival, where you can make merry memories at Truist Field. Now through January 6th and... They got the ice skating rink. They got the snow tubing hill. They got the light show. They got live entertainment. They got holiday treats, Christmas trees, shopping, and Santa. Oh, it's just a ton of stuff. It looks amazing. You got to go check it out. Make it a new uh, tradition for your Christmas in Charlotte. The Light the Nights Festival at Truist Field, now through January 6th. Um, all right, so the the relationship between the FBI and the executives at Twitter and a lot of employees, I guess, at Twitter, is described as such by Matt Taibbi, the journalist who has been posting uh, the, uh, you know, these internal memos and communications from Twitter over the last few years that Elon Musk has given them access to, along with like Barry Weiss and uh, Michael Schellenberger. I think Abigail Schreier has some as well. So they've got access. They've been reporting on this stuff. And he says, uh, oh, and as I understand it, I got, I got a message here that... Uh, Installment number seven is happening today at some point. Um, but here's a here's a good de- or a description, let's say, of the uh, the relationship. He calls it the master canine quality of the FBI's relationship. A master canine relationship, FBI to Twitter, and it comes through in one of these emails from this past November, so last month, November twenty twenty two. Hello, Twitter contacts. FBI San Francisco is notifying you that it wants action on four accounts. Right? So they're looking for... Uh, Twitter then goes and looks for these accounts, looks for reasons to suspend them, including one that's called From MA, whose tweets are all jokes. And an internal email from November 5th, 2022... The FBI's National Election Command Post, which compiles and sends on complaints, sent the San Francisco field office a long list of accounts that, quote, may warrant additional action. The San Francisco field office contact the go-between for the FBI and Twitter was a guy named Elvis Chan. I'm going to have more on him. Elvis Chan. He then passes the list of the targeted accounts to Twitter. And a lot of them are satirical accounts, relatively low engagement. Essentially, right, the the picture that is developing here is that the FBI is policing jokes on Twitter. That's what the, 80 agents and they're sending these messages or or, or uh, these lists, these ban lists targeting low follower satirical accounts 
they have weekly meetings with the uh, starting in uh, like September with the Department of Homeland Security, DOJ, the FBI, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Taibbi called it uh, a one big happy family vibe between Twitter and the FBI. Twitter executives processing the list of possible violative content tweets, that's what they said, most tweets uh, contain the very same joke, which is, hey, everybody, remember, get out there and vote on Wednesday. The joke being that Election Day is always Tuesday. I have heard this joke for decades. That's the... That's what makes it funny. It's like you're telling your political opponents, hey, make sure you go out and vote, and you tell them the wrong day. That's the joke. It's like trick-or-treat, you know? And these are, the, these are the tweets that the FBI has pulled as evidence of election misinformation warranting their suspension. Skipping ahead, uh, the ubiquity of the 2016 Russian interference story as stated pretext for building out the censorship machine cannot be overstated. It is analogous to how 9-11 inspired the expansion of the security state. The ubiquity of the 2016 Russia collusion, the Russia hacked our election story, right? That is That was the stated pretext for building this censorship machine. And as we know now, the Russian interference story, right, was driven by the FBI and the Democratic uh, campaign for Hillary Clinton. The takeaway, Taibbi says, what most people think of as a deep state is really a tangled collaboration of state agencies, private contractors, and sometimes state-funded NGOs, non-government organizations. The lines become so blurred as to be meaningless. And then, so now I'm in the supplementals. So this is the last batch that he put out. Um, I guess this was today. I think this was today. He says, in July of 2020, so right before the 2020 election, the San Francisco FBI agent Elvis Chan tells Twitter executive Yoel Roth to expect written questions from the, uh, for, uh, yeah, from the Foreign Influence Task Force, the FITF. This is the 80-agent Division, right? That's policing for the the jokes and the memes. They're supposed to be dealing with cyber threats, but they're flagging people for telling others to vote on Wednesday. Ha ha ha. The questionnaire was written by people who seem to be upset with Twitter. So this is this one. If you take nothing else away from this story, this is it. There is a this. Uh, uh, July memo goes from Chan to Twitter, and it's in res- it's re- uh, implying that you guys are undermining the effort. DHS, ODNI, Director of National Intelligence, uh, FBI, industry briefing. Okay, that's the the author of the email. Put that as the subject line. It said that you indicated at this briefing. You indicated that you had not observed much recent activity from official propaganda actors on your platform, right? So what is, what's he saying? It's like, wait a minute. You had this briefing with all of us, you know, intelligence community people, 
and you said that you didn't really see a lot of activity. Now, you would think that'd be good news, right? Oh, there's not, the, not a lot of activity from the you know, official propaganda actors. But the agencies disagreed. Oh, oh, the intelligence community said something else like, Twitter, you don't even know what's happening on your own platform. Chan says, quote, there was quite a bit of discussion within the U.S. intelligence community, USIC, to get clarifications from your company. The task force demanded to know how Twitter came to its unpopular conclusion. I mean, unpopular for the USIC. Oddly, it included a bibliography of public sources, including a Wall Street Journal article, attesting to the prevalence of foreign threats, as if to show Twitter that they got it wrong. So they're citing news articles that say there are a lot of state officials, state, like government, propaganda accounts that are trying to meddle in our election, a.k.a. The Russians, right? So the Wall Street Journal did the story. So the FBI sends Twitter the story. How do you think the Wall Street Journal got that story, by the way? Care to take a guess? Right? I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably somebody inside the U.S. intelligence community fed that story to the Wall Street Journal, and then they used that in order to tell Twitter, this is a problem on your platform. So the Twitter guy, Yoel Roth, he... Gets, these, gets the email with all of these questions. He starts sending them around to his fellow company executives. And he, sa- he said he was frankly perplexed by the requests, which seemed more like something we would get from a congressional committee than the FBI. So, in other words, more of a confrontational relationship than what we have with the FBI. Like, whoa, 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 what are you doing, FBI? Like, same team, same team. He added that he was not comfortable with the Bureau and, by extension, the intelligence community demanding written answers. The idea of the FBI acting as a conduit for the IC is pretty interesting as well, given that a lot of agencies are barred from domestic operations. So not only are they using Twitter, right, to to censor people, but the intelligence community is also now using the FBI as a conduit. This is, this is bad. <laughs> this is very bad. News Talk 1110, 99.3, WBT. <laughs> 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110, and uh, Larry has been waiting patiently. Hello, Larry. Welcome to the program. I just want to say that obviously this is evidence of collusion on the liberal side. And if there hadn't been one illegal vote, then all this evidence shows that the election was definitely drastically affected by what was going on and in a negative sense. And another thing, as far as Trump's concerned, there's an electoral process to check into the vote and make sure the election was legal. And I think that's what President Trump was trying to do, going through Vice President Pence. He was waiting for a senator or a congressman to speak up and reject the votes. And therefore, legally, it would go to Congress, and Congress would decide. And they're turning this around and making it look 100% otherwise. And it will be very detrimental, I think, to the country and for the liberal Democrats in the long run if they accomplish any of this as far as sending uh, one of the best presidents in history to jail for any reason whatsoever. Well, I mean, that 
So you're talking more about the uh, the announcement from the January 6th committee uh, that's yeah. coming up here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was relating that and then the subject yeah. that you've been covering as far as Twitter's concerned, right. all the evidence of uh, the uh, depression of the vote actually from Twitter when it was in the hands of liberals. Well, and, and this is the thing, like, and I've made this argument, by the way, like I, I've not seen the evidence of widespread uh, election fraud, right? And I know about the 2,000 mules, and I've gone over that too, but I've not seen the evidence and the place to present the evidence is in courts and to get people to uh, to sue over it and to litigate the matters and and you could say that that all that evidence was there but the fact remains they you know they they didn't make their case in court for whatever reasons they did yeah. not make their case in courts and that's something that not just Trump but also the Republican party needs to be ready to do if it's going to make these these allegations they need to have an army of lawyers prepared to make sure that the elections are conducted well now that all being said um I have I have argued since 2020 that the election was influenced. You could call it, quote, rigged. Um, it was to some degree based on this kind of misinformation, disinformation, but also the use of new laws, right, that were rammed through because of COVID. And uh, they did end runs around legislative bodies and such. And they instituted these rules that uh, that undermined election integrity and uh, so you could say all of that, and, and as well as the the media coverage of the Steele dossier, media coverage of uh, the Alpha Bank stuff, the Russia collusion stuff. We knew all of that stuff was not true, and we've known it for years. But they don't, they, they didn't care. They they just didn't care. And then they, and then of course the Hunter Biden laptop story, which probably moved votes or would have moved voters against Biden. It would have raised those oh. those questions, and I've seen polling yeah, that indicates absolutely. he would have lost uh, had that story had voters known about that story. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the way the election was influenced, and yeah. that was a violation of freedom of speech, as far as I was concerned. And it cut the president off from his his main Twitter account. I mean, that's the way yeah. he was communicating with Americans. That's the way he was communicating with his voters, and they knew that would have a drastic effect as far as the election was concerned concern as far as conservatives so yeah yeah well they and well they banned him yeah they banned him on twitter um after around like january 8th and they and they did it by breaking their own internal rules to do so uh but they that that happened after the january 6th riots so and here's the thing too though is that donald trump makes himself a very easy target because some of the stuff that he does allows them to run the ball as they do, you know, uh, it, 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 he could make it harder for them to get away with some of this stuff, uh, yeah. but he makes yeah, it agree. easier for them. Yeah, and it's, it's a frustration that I have with him. I appreciate the call, Larry. Thank you. All right, take care. Um, so the task force from the DHS office of the director of uh, national intelligence, the FBI, the, uh, the in slash industry briefing, this is. The letter that Elvis Chan from San Francisco FBI field office sends to Twitter. And he's like, hey, we want to know how Twitter came to this conclusion that you haven't really seen a lot of recent activity from official propaganda actors on your platform. Because we saw in the Wall Street Journal that they said there is. So how do you say there isn't? And so they gave him this whole list of questions. And the guys at Twitter are like, huh, this is weird. This seems kind of combative. This seems like kind of aggressive. He's, they're treating us like, like they're a like 
a Republican-stocked House committee coming after us. What's going on? So Yoel Roth, the head of uh, Twitter's security whatever thing, right? He gets everybody to answer these emails, send them to me. I'll get them to the FBI. And the FBI responded to this report. Um, Well, sorry, one other thing. Roth says, let's get on the phone with Elvis Chan, the San Francisco FBI guy. Let's get on the phone with him and straighten this out. And the FBI is then asked about this. And the FBI says it regularly engages with private sector entities to provide information specific to identified foreign malign influence actors, subversive, undeclared, covert or criminal activities. Right now, that may be true. But we haven't seen Matt Taibbi, the reporter, says we haven't seen that in the documents to date. Instead, we have mostly seen requests for moderation censorship involving low follower accounts belonging to ordinary Americans. Oh, and the actor Billy Baldwin. So, yeah, same thing. (laughs) 